Welcome to Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm your host, Trey Fowler, and our goal here each time is simple. To help the listener grow closer to reaching their potential in the game of baseball through the help of some of the game's best and brightest coaches and players. Without further ado, let's get on the bus. everyone and welcome to another edition of Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm your host, Trey Fowler, and we've got another great episode to, with, for you today as we have Dylan Bellage, assistant coach, Stephen F. Austin, a member of the Western Athletic Coach Conference. How are you, coach? Doing good, Trey. What's going on, man? Oh, not a whole lot. We are excited for the information you are going to share with us today on pitching. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to spend with us and share with our listeners a lot of great information that can help keep their development bus rolling. Before we get started, let's tell the listeners just a little bit about your baseball background and ultimately how you ended up as an assistant coach there in at Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, so uh, for me, I mean, like all of us, it started back when, you know, we were four, five, and six years old, the whole baseball, uh, you know, just the love of the game, man. Um, so I'm from New Orleans originally, and I actually worked for the AAA team in New Orleans. It was the Houston Astros affiliate, the New Orleans Zephyrs. Um, man, that was, I was probably 10, 11 years old. Um, started off as a bat boy on the field, um, did that for a season. And then from there, I moved up into the, the clubhouse where, you know, you were pretty much babysitting a bunch of 18 to 26 year old players and, you know, washing laundry and doing, you know, anything and everything for those guys because those guys were obviously uh, on a mission to make it to the big leagues. And with it being AAA, they were right there. So those guys were, you know, just taking notes on how those guys went about their business and their work ethic and just the whole the whole process, I think, was kind of, you know, started at a young age for me. So that was good. Um, from there, obviously, like I said, I'm from New Orleans. I was a, a high school player in, at De La Salle High School. Um, I was actually a Katrina kid, so I was in high school when Hurricane Katrina came through, and um, at that point, obviously, we evacuated to Monroe, Louisiana. I uh, had some family there, um, so finished high school at St. Frederick High School there in Monroe. Uh, from there, went to Northwestern State in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and then um, I had a grandmother that had a stroke, so I actually had to move back to Monroe um had to help out so my aunt and uncle owned a seafood business so i've been in the seafood business also a little bit um kind of going through college and everything like that um but had to help them with her because like you said my parents were in new orleans um my aunt and uncle were there they had a full-time business seafood business um so i had to kind of help take care of my grandmother after she had a stroke uh ended up graduating from ulm uh from there went on to coach at neville high school in monroe uh, from 2009 to 2014, I would say. I think my last game I coached in high school, we played in the state championship and uh, lost to a really good Turlings Catholic team. Um, but from there, went to Mississippi Junior College uh, system. I had a little tour of Mississippi. Started off at Mississippi Delta um, with Coach Avalon, who's now the head coach at Pearl River Community College. Uh, spent a year there. Then from there, went to Heinz Community College. I learned fairly quickly that you needed a master's degree now to coach baseball. 
so went to Heinz Community College. Uh, at Heinz was the graduate assistant kind of, so to speak, assistant pitching coach, helped with the pitching on that side of the ball. Um, then I got a phone call for a paid position in Mississippi at another junior college, uh, Holmes Community College. So actually didn't do both years at, home, at Heinz with the degree, but went from Heinz to Holmes as the paid guy, um, you know, kind of got my first check, got the recruiting coordinator, that type stuff under my belt. Uh, spent one year there, actually ended up leaving there for an opportunity to go to New Orleans to be the volunteer assistant coach. Um, and as everybody knows, being the fourth coach, being the unpaid guy, um, that was, you know, once again, going from not being paid to being paid to now being unpaid um, is, you know, definitely a transition. So did that at New Orleans for two and a half years um, and was the first base coach, dealt with the outfielders, um, not really on the pitching side of things there, but got a call uh, from Coach Cardenas over here at Stephen F. Austin. He had lost his previous pitching coach to the Anaheim Angels, and he said, hey, man, listen, I want a guy to come in, do the pitching, be the pitching coach, gave me all the positives, and then said, well, there's only one negative to it. And uh, it was, you know, hey, it's, it's still the volunteer role, um, but it's not really a lateral move. It's more of a, here, you're getting a chance to coach the position you want to coach, and it's, you know, all hands on deck. Here's the reins, basically giving me the keys to a Mercedes and saying, here, don't, you know, don't wreck it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, being a younger guy, younger coach, that was, you know, something I really couldn't pass up. Um, I was thankful for the opportunity, like I said, at New Orleans with Coach Dean. And he, uh, he told me, hey, man, this is something you probably need to do um, so you can get your foot in the door, you know, on the next side of things is being labeled as, a, you know, a pitching coach. Um, you know, because when I came from the JUCO ranks, it was kind of, you know, hey, more of the guy that recruits and, you know, knows everybody with the, the rules in Mississippi. You only get four out-of-state players. So if you sign an out-of-state kid from Louisiana or Alabama, Tennessee, it has to be kind of a, a home run. Uh, type player you can't really miss on those guys um, so I, I was very fortunate I mean I had some you know LSU kickbacks signed we had a kid from Oklahoma State but it all went back to my original um, you know connections in Louisiana just off the you know knowledge of the whole landscape of coaching the high school and then getting into junior college and then once you get into the division one level now you're recruiting the junior college junior college players from Mississippi right there um, so it's all kind of worked out for me. Um, so I'm very thankful, like you said, to be the pitching coach here at Stephen F. Austin. That's great stuff. Well, you mentioned, and like many other, and myself included, but many other of our guests on Riding the Bus have ties into junior college. You made several stops in Mississippi Junior College. What do you think that time in junior college and even the high school level has done to prepare you for your two Division One stops thus far? Um, well, I've got a funny story. So like I said, I was at Neville for a few years. Um, we had a catcher, went on to play at a very, very good junior college, um, ended up not working out for him. And he came back home, you know, I think after a semester, um, is actually still coaching some travel ball and stuff like that. Now, um, he called me not too long ago. That's when you know you're getting old when your former players are calling you to ask, hey, coach, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, what should I do? You know, should I go teach class and, you know, take the high school job and whatnot. But um, anyways, the junior college thing, man, you know, just for me, I think it's a part of growing up. Um, you know, you got, you're going to be away from home most of the time living in a dorm, got to figure out, you know, how to wash your clothes, 
Um, you know, we're not going to come over there and knock on the door for you and wake you up for that eight o'clock class. Um, I've been, to, like I said, Mississippi. Um, I guess alarm clocks don't work in Mississippi because um, I had a lot of kids miss class and stuff. And you're like, hey, man, we're not coming to do it for you. You've got to get up and you've got to be there. Um, so I think junior college is, you know, from high school, once you go to junior college, it's that transition of just kind of growing up and becoming a man and, uh, you know, figuring some stuff out. And, you know, hey, if I want to do this and I want to play at the, you know, for example, the Mississippi States, the old Misses, Southern Misses in Mississippi, where those kids have always dreamed of playing, um, you know, that's a, a extra stop where they just get a chance to mature and grow up. Um, but back to the story. So I had the catcher for a couple of years. So I knew his parents fairly well. Um, and she was like, Dylan, I, I don't know what he's going to do. Like, he doesn't know how to cook. How's he going to survive? And I said, well, you, you realize they do have a cafeteria. They're going to feed him three meals a day. Um, so he's going to be okay. Just teach him how to use the washing machine and, you know, how to be on time. And, you know, like you said, time management, you know, mom is not there. Dad's not there to do, to do it for you or to wake you up. So you either, you know, you sink or swim at this point. So, um, but yeah, we definitely have had a lot, of, a lot of good memories in junior college, um, coaching those guys and watching those guys mature. And then obviously ultimately getting the ultimate goal is uh, getting a chance to play at the division one level. Um, that's what they, you know, we're all there for. And then I've even had some go from there to even the professional levels. Um, it's just, it's basically how hard are you going to work and how much are you, are you willing to put in, to be the best player, like you said, at the junior college level to get noticed to sign for a division one scholarship, what their, like I said, all in goal was pretty much for us. Student athlete first, for sure. But, um, you know, like you said, if you're gonna do what you need to do in the classroom, I usually found that those players were the guys that could do it on the field as well. Absolutely, there's a direct correlation and I've seen it all over the course of my coaching career between, you know, guys taking care of business in the classroom and then them also being some of your better players. There's a lot of attention to detail that goes into being a great player. And if you can't take care of business in the classroom, many times you probably don't have that attention to detail you need to reach your full potential as a player. What would you say, what types of players make the most out of time in June? As many of our listeners might be sitting here considering junior college as an option for them, what type of player benefits the most from that environment and that opportunity? Um, I think, like you said, it depends. Um, obviously, um, you don't want to say it, but it's more of some of the guys that are academic at risk. You know, if you're kind of a fringe guy on the, on the academic side of things, um, you know, I've had guys that had to come in and take some remedial math, uh, remedial English classes, things like that to get them caught up to become eligible um, like you said, for the division one, division two, division three levels um, within the NCAA rules. Um, but like I said, coming into junior college, you definitely, you know, we recruited, like I said, going back to the out of state rules, the, the only way I've known it, I've never known, I've never known it where I've had 24 scholarships, um, you know, to sign whoever international players, um, things like that. So, um, you know, for the out of state guys, I would sign guys that were two way players um, because if they, if they struggled at the plate, I knew they could give me something on the mound. So basically it was kind of like a two for one for me um, in, in that specific Juco market. Like you said, um, if I could find a guy that was a two-way guy, he was the guy that I was kind of looking for on the field um, to answer your question. But as far as, like you said, in the classroom, you know, some more, some of those guys were more of the fringe guys that weren't, were going to be academic risks if they went to a, you know, a mid-major division one, um, you know, where they would be, you know, 
guys don't understand. You have mandatory study hall, uh, things like that. But also at the junior college level, I mean, we implemented those things um, within our programs just so the guys would get used to what it was going to be like at the next place because that was our job was to prepare you to be ready for the next step in your career. Um, so we, you know, we implemented things like study hall. We had curfew. We had mandatory meals as a team. Um, just, you know, kind of some of the things that we all, you know, the guys now that, you know, you're, you've been talking to are all at the division one level, probably for the most part have been at different stops along the way, like you said. So, um, you know, now to the division one level, it's not a sack nasty lunch bag with, uh, you know, a ham and turkey sandwich with an apple and a Snickers. Um, you know, we're getting to go to Olive Garden and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it's the whole the whole realm of things is, like you said, JUCO is is not a bad thing. I tell people that all the time, um, obviously, from coaching it because um, it's it, it is what you make of it. I think, you know, if you really have dreams to play at that high, high division, you know, power five level school, you're going to have to work your butt off and you're competing against a whole nother pool of guys, the JUCO guys and the high school guys now. Um, so, I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, I'm definitely a, a JUCO guy. I'm definitely not opposed to it. Um, and if, if people ask me their opinion, you know, if we have showcase camps and, you know, we'll evaluate kids and they'll email me and, and I'll tell you, you know, Hey man, do I think you can play here? Yes, but it's not going to be next year. Um, you know, there may, there may need to be some more development where, junior college would be a good thing for you. You know, kids nowadays, they want, they want the truth and their attention spans are not near as long to come sit in a meeting with the old school coach. that's going to talk to you for an hour and 45 minutes and tell you, Hey man, uh, it's just not going to work. Um, you know, kids want to know now, well, coach, am I, am I on the team? Am I on scholarship or am I being redshirted or am I going to a junior college? They want to know, um, you know, kind of in our exit meetings, that's kind of what we tell them. It's you're, you're one of those four pretty much it's here it is. And let's, let's not sugarcoat it. And, move on. I mean, you know, with the roster limitations and things like that, um, you know, JUCO gives you that opportunity to also play a fall season and a spring season. So that development piece is huge there for some guys. Um, you know, just now being in Texas, some of these high schools, you know, there's 6A high schools and stuff with thousands and thousands of kids and, you know, they're graduating classes and stuff. So you may not be getting the reps as the everyday shortstop because there's a good chance he's probably committed to University of Texas or Texas A&M or Oklahoma State, you know, OU, one of those big time powerhouses, TCU, Baylor's, you know, the big time dudes are playing every day at the premier positions, you know, shortstop, center field, things like that. So that gives you a chance. And also the Texas JUCO system for us is, is huge. It's a huge part of our recruiting piece as well, because there are so many junior colleges in the state of Texas um, and very, very good ones, um, you know, with McLennan winning it last year, um, you know, TJC has been very good in the past with their transition now in a division one with scholarships. It'll be very interesting to kind of see what route they take now with some different teams and different competition and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Texas junior college is tremendous level of baseball. I had the opportunity to go out there and watch their all-star game a few years ago and saw a lot of those same guys pop back up in the SEC and in Omaha in the College World Series. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing thing to see. But I think there's a lot to unpack with what you just said there. Um, number one being junior college being a great opportunity for a two-way guy. Maybe he's a two-way guy and he doesn't quite know which area is going to be the best uh, for him to try to pursue junior college gives him the opportunity to go in and figure that piece of it out so that he can maximize 
the best of his abilities on one side of the coin, whichever one ends up working out the best for him. You know, the other guy you mentioned, obviously the guy who academically might need a little bit smaller environment, a little bit uh, easier time or a little bit uh, better time to get his feet underneath him academically. And then the guy that needs to develop, the guy that has a high ceiling but is not there yet, you know, great opportunity for him to go to junior college, get a lot of opportunity, a lot of time to develop, a lot of game reps so that they're ready for that next level. A lot of great things. You also mentioned the uh, sack lunches there when I coached in uh, junior college. We had the uh, peanut butter and honey at Truett McConnell College. They put in our sack lunches. And the days where we actually got jelly, oh, man, that was some great stuff. That was some great stuff. Uh, Before we dive into the meat and potatoes, one last uh, question I want to go through here as we're getting to know Coach Dylan Belage from Stephen F. Austin is – you know, you spoke a little bit about how junior college can be beneficial for the player. How do you feel like as a coach it was beneficial for you, and how has it ultimately helped you as you've made that transition to Division One coaching? Um, I think I think first and foremost, it's definitely the relationships um, because obviously, you know, in junior college, being a junior college coach, you have to recruit the player in, um, but I think you also have to help recruit the player out Um, So just building those relationships with, um, you know, other coaches, um, obviously other division one coaches. um, One thing for them too is, you know, the recruiting, the dead period, um, you know, it's till March 1st when we can go back out on the road and recruit. Um, So junior college coaches, they have a little bit less lenient of rules. um, So they're out and about watching games. Um, So I know, you know, you have a, a big time coach call you and say, Hey man, where are you going this weekend? Or, you know, what game are you watching Tuesday night? Um, well, you think you can run over here at this complex and watch field three. I need you to see so-and-so for me. Um, so like you said, man, I think you build relationships right there um, just with other division one coaches. And that ultimately helps the player um, get, you know, the, maybe the next opportunity or open the door for him um, just kind of off the relationships that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to build, um, not only working, you know, best in the U.S. events, uh, meeting a lot of different guys, uh, seeing a lot of different guys move positions, like you said, go from player development roles into volunteer roles, uh, from volunteers even moving into the paid assistant roles. Um, so just those relationships throughout the years now um, have definitely been the, the biggest factor, I believe, with the whole JUCO market for myself. Um and like I said, I'm definitely not opposed to that one, one day, obviously maybe getting a chance to be a head coach. Um, I think, you know, junior college would be a great spot to start um, just because like you said, you're, you're having a big impact on those kids' lives right there at the transition part of, you know, really growing up, getting away from under the parents' wing, um, you know, and playing really good baseball. That's what some people just think, oh, it's, you know, it's the 13th grade. Um, it's definitely not. It's, uh, you know, when I was in Mississippi, it was, you know, you're playing the number seven team in the country. You're playing the number 11 team in the country. You're playing the number three team in the country. You're playing the number one team in the country. Oh, and not to mention all of those teams are in your region, but they're also, that is your conference schedule. Um, you know, one thing I definitely will, will not miss and haven't missed um, since being gone from the JUCO ranks is the, it's a doubleheader every time you play. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a, a grind from the player side of it and the coaching side of it as well, just because, you know, it's a double header on Tuesday and a double header on Friday. So it's, you know, how are we, how are we going to piece together these arms? 
um, you know, who's hot, who's not. Um, a lot of a lot of JUCO conferences play, you know, a doubleheader at home on Tuesday and you play the same opponent on that Friday or that Saturday. So if you catch someone when they're hot, good luck. Um, but, you know, just the Division One, you know, last year our conference had actually voted to set the schedule very early on and we had to play four game series with all the COVID, um, you know, restrictions and things like that. So the Saturday game became a doubleheader again. And boy, I saw, when I saw the schedule this year, I sure don't miss that it's not four game sets. Um, and we're going back to the traditional, you know, midweek game, Tuesday or Wednesday, three game set on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, that way we can kind of get back in a rhythm and get some of those, uh, you know, younger guys get their feet wet early on on midweeks. And um, by no means do we play a, a light midweek schedule in Texas. Um, we're, we're very fortunate. There's a lot of opponents that are within driving distance. Um, you know, we open up this year with a former conference opponent, uh, Northwestern State down in Natchitoches. It's only about an hour and 45 minutes. And then the first Tuesday out of the gate, uh, my, boach, my coach, head coach, Johnny Cardenas, uh, he played at TCU. So we usually open up the first midweek every year at TCU. Um, it'll be their home opener. So Kirk Sarlus era. So it'll be a, a good contest to kind of kind of see where we're at right off, right off the jump. Absolutely. It's all about measuring yourself, especially early in the season, giving yourself challenges so that when you get into that tough conference slate, you are ready to rock and roll and you guys are prepared and you're battle tested. That's what the key is. You hit on the, the nail on the head and one of the most important things about all of the baseball world, whether it be as a player, maybe one of our listeners as a young coach, relationships. If you want to move forward within this profession or you want to move forward within this game, relationships are imperative. As a player, it's important that you develop great relationships, not just with your teammates, but with your coaches and branch out to try and expose yourself to great opportunities outside of your normal realm. This podcast is, is a great example of that, exposing yourself to new ideas, new trains of thought that you can add to your development bus to keep it rolling. But as a coach as well, you've got to open yourself up to new relationships. You've got to introduce yourself to new people because you never know what person might be the one that puts in a good word for you and gets you to ultimately where you want to be. I did a podcast this morning about, you know, the goal, you know, the motivation should be for people to provide the it for someone else, provide the it that they need to be successful or to keep them moving. And you never know, Who's going to be the person that can provide the it for you? That closes out our uh, segment number one with Coach Dylan Belanger, Stephen F. Austin. When we come back, we dive into the meat and potatoes, and we're going to talk a little pitching right after this. And we are back on this week's edition of Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm Trey Fowler, your host, joined alongside by Dylan Belanger, a pitching coach, assistant coach at Stephen F. Austin. And it's time to dive into the meat and potatoes segment of today's show, in which we are going to talk a little pitching. Now, Coach, we like to do this a little bit differently on our show. We like to outline what you feel like are the three most important traits, skills, attributes for a pitcher, and then we take a deeper dive on each of those and how you develop those within your pitchers and your program, giving our listeners some insight as to some things they can be doing 
to also help develop those skills. Coach, what would be number one on your list? Most important skill, trait, ability for your pitchers to have? Uh, I think for me, first, Trey, is going to be uh, fastball command. Um, that's, you know, probably a common one kind of around baseball. But um, like you said, man, it all starts with catch play. Um, if you can't play catch, it's going to be hard to pitch at this level. Um, so uh, for me, definitely fastball commands, you know, first and foremost, on the pitching side of things, um, what, what we look for in a guy. Because um, if you can't, you know, command your fastball, you, you're going to have to have a, a really, really good slider to convince me that this guy's, um, you know, a guy that we can trust. Um, you know, just for us, like you said, being, you know, a mid-major school, you know, are, are we going to get the 94, 95 mile an hour arms? Yes, we have gotten them um, in the past and hopefully we continue to get those guys. Um, but a lot of times through the recruiting process and things like that, you know, a lot of stuff is going online, the video and things of that nature. Um, but we, you know, you, you hear a guy always oh, 94, 95 miles an hour. Okay. Then you go see him and it's ball, ball, ball. Um, you know, there's not a lot of strikes mixed in there. Um, so if, you know, our, our kind of our philosophy here at SFA is if, if we can get a guy that's whether it's 86 to 90, um, but he, you know, he throws strikes and he competes um, has multiple pitches for strikes um, that's a guy that we kind of target more or less where we think we can maybe add a little bit of velocity um, and get him to a, a 88, 92, touch a 93 guy, um, as opposed to just having to have the 94 or 95, um, you know, those big time power, power arms. Once you get anything above that, it's, you know, 98 mile an hour arms, you know, obviously as a pitcher coach, we would all love to have, you know, 12 of those guys, but um, let's be realistic and um, let's work with what we have. So, um, the biggest thing, like you said, is commanding the fastball would definitely be number one for me. That's, you know, that, that is the, the pinnacle uh, for, for success, being able to command the fastball. I think you hit the nail right on the head at the very beginning talking about catch play. I think a lot of times players this day and age, maybe you're out there listening and, and your catch play becomes, you know, more about listening to your AirPods or, you know, mess, messing around. But you have to understand, you know, everything that you do in that time is going to tr transition over. And if you're practicing good habits and you're practicing good uh, things during your catch play, it's going to carry over to quality uh, command on the mound. And I think not a lot of people, not enough people emphasize the importance of that. And as a result, the players aren't emphasizing the, the importance of that and they're paying the penalty and the price for not doing so. Uh, number two, what would be number two on your list after fastball command? Uh, so obviously, uh, second, I think number two would be, uh, you got to spin to win, um, at this level, um, because just the old fastball, like you said, 90 mile an hour fastball is, is a thing of the past, obviously, um, you know, with the professional level, every guy is throwing 95, uh, to hundred miles an hour. Um, so I think, like you said, at this level, you got to be able to spin, uh, some type of breaking ball, whether it's a slider or a curveball. Um, I think you gotta be able to do that ahead in the count behind in the count even in the count, um, just to keep guys, like you said, basically honest where they're not just guess hitting, um, you know, hey, I'm selling out for a fastball in this count. And then if they know it's 2-1 or a 3-1 count that they're getting a fastball. Um, and I think you have to be smart and do your preparation um, with all the technology and synergy and things like that nowadays. You can get all of a hitter's, you know, habits and his splits and what is he, you know, does he do damage, you know, against right-handed pitchers, 
does, you know, do we need to shift on him? You know, it's, the, the game has definitely changed um, in, in a lot of different ways, but um, we're fortunate to have all those tools, you know, at our literally becking call right there where we could just, hey, pull these numbers for me. Um, you know, I've got an intern who's actually a guy that played for me here, Jeremy Rodriguez, very smart kid. Um, he's kind of more in the analytics data side of it. Um, have another student assistant GA type guy, Cody Rimko. Um, he deals a lot of our rep Soto. They do uh, Yak attack and things like that. Um, so that kind of helps us with the breaking ball development kind of is where I'm going with that. Um, so like I said, we're very fortunate to have all the rap Soto and Yakker tech now on the field. Um, so we can get the in game data because a lot of the rap Soto stuff is on the field, um, you know, during inner squad type settings and things like that, or in our pitching facility where it's, Hey, we're throwing bullpens today. We've got monitors right there where you can see the, the feedback immediately. Um, I think that's huge for the kids too, because they want to see, okay, what was the vertical break? What was the horizontal break? What was the spin efficiency? Um, they start taking note of some of the things that are kind of important and things that we talk about um, where they, they say, Hey, that, that's gotta be better. Or, you know, one big thing you start competing guys start seeing, well, this guy's, you know, Hey, let's spin our breaking ball over 80 miles an hour. Well, if mine's consistently 78, 78 and yours is 81, 82, well, now that screen's right there. I got some guys spinning the absolute, you know what, out of the breaking ball, um, kind of what we're looking for. So I think just that competitive environment, um, you know, you can do some things in bullpens where, you know, you play pig just like old school basketball um, where you, you say, hey, I'm throwing slider back foot to a lefty and you got to repeat it. And then, you know, you put a penalty on it, a consequence, whatever it is, um, you know, some extra sprints, whatever, whatever the case may be, to just get guys to compete um at the level where you know we ultimately want to get them ready for the game obviously um you want that game to be a little bit easier than practice um everybody always talks about you know kind of slowing the game down um but i think if you you compete all the time and do everything at a high level attention to detail like we talked about earlier um that gives you a chance to be successful so um yeah you can't be a one-pitch pony at this level so definitely need a breaking ball for sure um you know kind of as a reliever two-pitch guys okay um you know when I, when I look for starters I, I try to find guys that have a three-pitch mix um so they're definitely not just sitting 50 50 fastball or breaking ball um you know change up can definitely keep the lefties off balance and uh things like that so it just depends every every guy every situation is different um but as far as um Second thing I would definitely say, you know, the ability to be able to spin the baseball to, to win and execute pitches. Um, you know, a lot of guys, all they, you know, they think strikeouts are great. Trust me, I do too. Um, but, you know, I tell them, hey, you know, if it's 0-2, if it's 1-2, that's your time to strike the guy out. We'll strike him out and don't, you know, don't mess around and don't throw a 58-foot breaking ball. Um, you know, throw an attractable pitch to give us a chance to maybe, like you said, strike the guy out or get him to roll over or something like that. Um, Whereas, um, like I said, starters, you know, that third pitch kind of definitely helps. But every kid's different, like you said. There's one thing I always look for in recruiting, too. I don't ever want a cookie-cut cookie recruit um, where it's, you know, a bunch of 5'10 stock righties that are all 88 to 90 miles an hour. Um, you know, it's always nice to have a sidearm guy in the mix, a um, couple lefties with some different arm slots. Um, and even in the bullpen, um, you bring some guys in, you know, in tough situations that are – you know, runners second, third, and less than two outs. And if you've been doing this long enough, you're, you're usually getting a breaking ball. So usually you bring in your best breaking ball guy out of the bullpen 
Um, so that's why I think that has to be up there on the list kind of as far as things that are important. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about the analytics and the technology and the information that is available for everyone across college baseball now. And I think that's important for our listeners to understand when you get ready and prepared to compete at the college level, you know, the other team's going to know something about you. That's just how it works. That's how scouting reports are done. They're going to know something about you. You're probably going to know something about the opponent across the way. So the more weapons you have in your arsenal, whether it be as a pitcher or whether it be as a hitter, the more weapons you have, the more prone you are to be successful and being able to command the fastball, which you had at number one, and be able to spin the ball, which you had at number two. Those are two great weapons to have in your arsenal. Hitting is one of the hardest things to do in all of sports and in all of life. And if you can make that even tougher by adding more weapons to your arsenal, that is going to make the hitter's job very, very, very difficult. What would be number three on your list? Um, I would say it kind of switches gears kind of more to the, the, the post side of things. Um, recovery is a, a, a big thing for us. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys are into the, the weighted balls and the drive line and the, the baseball ranch and all that stuff is, is great stuff. Um, you know, for me, one of the bigger things is I like more of the, the recovery side of things with it. Um, just kind of old school you know, weight room talk, you know, if you push it, you're supposed to pull it. Um, so think about how many times we're asking a guy to do a, a unnatural motion of an overhand throw um, hundreds of times, obviously, uh, sometimes in a week. Um, but um, you never really see anybody doing a lot of the, the post throw, the recovery side of things. Um, so we, we, we hit that pretty hard. We implemented that kind of when I got here. Um, just so there was less chance of injury, I guess you would say, the, a smaller risk, because um, ultimately at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong way injuries happen. Um, obviously, you know, we all pray that we don't have any when it comes down to February when we're getting ready to rock and roll. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's all about the, the health and the well-being of the student athlete. Um, so our trainer, uh, we're very fortunate, our, our trainer, Kaylee Shores, um, she's, she's on board with what we're doing. Um, this year we've actually started using the, uh, the arm care app. Um, it's one of the new tools and one of the new products that are out there. Um, and it tests their strength. Um, it takes, it tests multiple different, um, angles and, you know, have they improved? Have they decreased? What's their workload? Um, so that information, uh, to get from her on like a weekly bi-weekly basis sometimes, um, is, has been helpful for us as far as making sure guys are good to go, um, before we get them back up on the slope and, you know, do bullpen work, uh, short box work, things like that. Um, you know, ultimately getting ready. Cause like you said, today with the BNM okay day, we're off today. So, uh, tomorrow we'll start back and we're officially one month from the start of the season. So it'll kind of be quick. Um, it'll be where you get to kind of see whether what guys did what they were supposed to do over the break and if they stayed in shape and, um, you know, who got in the weight room and, you know, we'll see, it'll, it'll be interesting. It's always a fun time year, uh, for all coaches, you know, usually attend the ABCA. And then when you get back from the ABCA, it's, it's go time. Um, so that time has now come. Um, so I'm definitely excited for that to have the guys back on campus, uh, seeing some of the older guys kind of filtering back in, 
getting some of their work done at the field on their own. So that's always a positive. Um, so like you said, we'll be ready to go starting, starting tomorrow. Um, back at it, 100%. Absolutely. And that's an exciting time of year. This is the first time that I haven't been on your side of the coin in my entire adult life. And, and it's very interesting, but I am excited for this year to be able to sit back and watch and, and, and take in a lot of information. Love doing these podcasts. It gives me another uh, opportunity to listen and, and learn from these coaches that have, that have come on. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's about learning. It's our goal is to be the number one player development podcast in the entire country because it is for our listeners to learn and get better. And we don't just get them better through telling them the what. And you've given a great example of the what. Fastball command, spin to win, recovery. Now we're going to dive a little bit deeper. This is where true player development happens by not just telling them the what, but telling them how and why these things are important. So let's dive a little bit deeper into these three things and let's talk about how you develop or help develop fastball command within your pitchers. Are there any drills? Are there any uh, things that you do? You talked about some things from a competitive nature. What are you doing with your guys day in and day out to help them develop fastball command? Um, like we like we originally stated, you know, Trey, it goes back to um, just the, the simple catch play. Um, you know, I watch those guys play catch every day. I could tell, you know, hey, man, that guy looks like he may be hanging a little bit. Um, you know, things like that, just from kind of just watching them throw and kind of getting to understand my players. Um, but, you know, as the season goes on, going back to kind of the fall, um, you know, we all know we've, we've all done it. You know, you get in the fall and everybody's gung ho. They're excited. They're ready to rock as soon as they get here. Um, and then that kind of goes on for, you know, you get, you're in an individual phase, kind of the four by one segment where, you know, it's just small groups. Uh, you know, doing things like PFPs and, you know, little things that eventually after you do it for weeks at a time, the kids are like, all right, when can we do something else? Um, then you move into like the inner squad phase um, and then kind of the back half of the fall, it kind of starts to, to slow down for them. And, you know, they're tired of just going through their throwing progressions and their, their you know, their normal routine everyday throwing. Um, you know, a big thing for us here is, man, you're a throwing athlete. So we're going to throw. Um, that's that's huge for us. I, you know, I've heard of guys that don't throw the day before they, they throw in a game or, you know, two days before they throw, they don't want to throw. Um, I ask the guys all the time, you know, you guys say you want to play pro ball. You know how many, how many days those guys throw? They throw every five days. Um, I promise you they're not just throwing every fifth day. Um, you know, usually two days before they're throwing a pre-pin, um, getting back up on the mound. Um, just a touch and feel type setting. Um, so we definitely, we, we throw a lot here. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, as far as the competitive thing, it's, it's pretty simple, man. It's back to old school, like when you were in the yard with your buddy. Hey, man, two points if you hit him in the face, one point if you hit him in the chest. Um, and a lot of times I'll just throw that on the practice schedule um, where, you know, it's winner, you know, first guy to 20 wins. Whoever loses has got to do 25 push-ups right there on the spot on the field. Um, so, you know, one big thing is, you know, if, if you embarrass them in front of their peers, they don't really like that. So back to the competition deal, you said, um, you know, if they're competing, they're trying to do everything they can to win. Um, and that ultimately helps us, um, you know, 
win ball games at the end of the day. So I just put that little small drill in there for them where they can have a, have a goal and have a focus on what they're throwing at instead of just throwing, um, you know, a big thing for me, I saw it the other day, uh, or it's been, it's been a few months now when you watch kids throw, not my players, but other kids throw, um, you know, why do you need two baseballs? Uh, you know, they, they put the extra ball by their foot and, you know, you're playing catch. Well, if you're just going to play catch with your buddy out to, you know, 90 feet or whatever it is, you shouldn't need two baseballs. Um, so that's a big thing. It was, a, it was a showcase we had uh, not too long ago. You see guys go over to the bucket, and grab two balls, and you're like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, you're, you're just playing catch. You're just getting loose. Um, you know, why do you need two baseballs? So that's a big thing. Like, just, you know, play catch, be able to, you know, throw to a target. Uh, every, every throw is important. You never get a throw back. That's a, that's a thing we talk about all the time, too. Um, you know, every throw is important. Um, when you get on the mound, too, um, you know, nowadays we're very fortunate. We've got a couple of catchers. So my guys don't have to throw bullpens or flat ground, so to speak, to each other. Um, we've got multiple catchers within our program. So if you want to throw a flat ground, you know, a 45 foot flat ground, um, just to work on, you know, like I said, our main stable fastball command in, out, up, down, um, work different zones and things like that. It's, it's a deal where, you can grab a catcher. You don't have to get another pitcher up there where you're trying to, you know, not, not break his thumb, um, you know, throwing sinkers and things like that. So we're very fortunate on that end. Um, but we do a lot of, you know, like I said, it, it kind of, it's kind of player based, you know, how the guy feels. Do you want to throw a flat ground? Um, any point in time, I'm never going to tell him, no, don't throw a flat ground. Um, getting on the mound, some guys, some of the guys that we know are going to log, you know, 60, 70 innings. Hopefully they do. Um, those type guys, if they want to show, you know, throw like a short box, something like that, as we get going into the season, um, I have no problem with that as well. As long as they're working on something, like I said, whether it's, you know, fastballs away or fastball glove side, whatever they're working on, as long as they're doing it with a purpose. Um, you know, a lot of things we do with the bullpens here, we'll script the bullpens. So the catcher has an idea of what's coming and the pitcher also knows so that way we can go, hey, we're going to execute a fastball away. Um, and then until he does that, don't move, you know, across the plate or across the zones. People do it different ways. I've done both ways, um, you know, with colored plates, numbers, zones, um, just like I said, ma making sure they have a focus on what they're throwing to and having a target and doing everything with a purpose and a plan. Absolutely. And I've always been a big believer that one of the most under coached and undervalued parts of pitching is visual focus and intent. Very few people talk about it. Very few people emphasize it. It's the one controllable in my mind that they have when they hit the mound. And if they put more effort and more focus on that, their command will skyrocket. You said a couple of other things that I wrote down here. Understand the value of every throw. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're a player and you're a pitcher and you want to improve, number one, understand the value of every throw. Every throw is important. And the other thing that you mentioned is to throw with a purpose. Have an intent. When you, when you step on the mound, have something that you're trying to accomplish. Have, it, have a plan in mind of what you want to get better at each and every day. You mentioned when in their catch play, you, you know, the old school kid game where they're playing the point game and two points for a throw in the head, one point for a throw in the body. It can be as simple as that because that right there in and of itself, it, it does two great things. Number one, it locks your eyes in, it focuses your eyes, 
which are imperative to command for a pitcher, but it also starts the competitive juices flowing. The compete factor is not just something we turn on and turn off. That's not what happens. The best competitors, the guys that you want to have the ball when the game means the most and the game is on the line are the guys that never turn the compete off. They want to win at tiddlywinks just like they want to win on the mound, just like they want to win in a game of pickup basketball. And sometimes, as you know, maybe you, you know, as a listener, your coaches are not providing that competitive environment for you each and every day. You can provide that competitive environment for yourself. You and your throwing partner can compete day in and day out. And when you get on the mound, you're going to be a lot better for it. Number two, you talked about spin to win. You talked about uh, a lot of the metrics that you guys analyze in terms of uh, spinning the baseball. What are some things you do? Maybe a guy is having trouble uh, getting his spin, his ball to spin, and maybe it's something is prohibiting the ball from breaking. What are you going to do to dissect that issue, and how are you going to fix it? Um, like I said, man, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, so we do have the Edutronic cameras, um, so we can do the 3D motion capture and, um, you know, show those guys. I've had guys where they, they say, oh, coach, I'm doing this. And you say, oh, you're really doing that. Okay, we're about to see, um, you know. So put, putting the video uh, to use is definitely something that the guys um, really like. And we've done it kind of with like a Dropbox folder. So they have every angle, you know, they have the front view, the back view, the side view. Um, so they can see, you know, their mechanics, their delivery, um, ball release, things like that. Um, but kind of what you're talking about, you know, spinning the baseball, um, you know, people nowadays are using the, the clean fuegos, um, you know, not only for fastball, but also for breaking balls. Um, another thing we do is if you're not just getting that, that number you want to see as far as, um, you know, the spin rate, so to speak, it's, you know, maybe, hey, let's change the grip. Um, you know, let's, let's move the thumb, maybe tuck it a little bit under the ball a little bit more. Or, um, you know, just it's kind of a trial and error thing, man. And everybody's different. You know, some guys should be throwing a slider that are throwing a breaking ball. And, you know, or some guys have two pitches and you're like, hey, man, take that slider and put it in your back pocket and let's throw the fastball and the breaking ball. Um, and then let's work to develop your changeup as well. Um, but for the time being, let's put that slider in the old pocket and, and just be a, a three-pitch guy instead of trying to be a four-pitch guy when you haven't even mastered being a three-pitch guy. Um, so, you know, I think it's like you said, it's, it's trial and error. It's, it's, it's doing some different things. Back to what we talked about a minute ago, you know, it's visual, visualization. Um, you'd be surprised. You put a, a hitter in there for a guy trying to throw a slider and he throws it off that, you know, that front hip or that front elbow. And all of a sudden he's leaving it arm side and arm side and it's backing up on him. Uh, you put that hitter in there or that, that dummy. And now all of a sudden it's like, whoop, there it is. There's the slider we're looking for. There's that, there's that curveball. You know, they just need that visual, you know, maybe with their head and their eyes to get, you know, once again, throwing to a target, trying to make a pitch work how you want it to work without getting lazy and getting outside of your body, um, you know, without doing something that you, you're used to having a hitter there. So you take it away and then it doesn't feel right. So you're like, hey, put that hitter back in there, that extra catcher that's off this time. Hey, man, stand in there for me um, just to give that guy a visual, uh, you know, where he needs to be releasing the ball. Man, I'm pumped up. You hit a lot of great things right there. A lot of things that 
most people or a lot of people don't hit. Number one, when you're struggling to spin the breaking ball, look no further than your grip. So many people think past grip. They're talking mechanics. They're talking all of these other things. When many, many times, I can't tell you how many pitchers have come to me with issues with a secondary pitch, and we look at the grip, and, hey, there's the problem. It's not a mystery, but so many people think past that, and I think it's great for our listeners that you hit that on the head. Look at your grip. You know, another thing you mentioned with is, uh, you know, know yourself, you know, and sometimes it takes a coach to help you know yourself a little bit. You might have an arm slot that does not uh, lend you to the ability to throw a curveball or vice versa. You might have an arm slot that doesn't lend yourself the ability to throw a, break, a slider very effectively. Can it? Don't throw that pitch. And, and I think you also hit a nail on the head for what a lot of young pitchers have a problem with. They want to throw everything and they become a jack of all trades and a master of none. You really only need, if you want to be really, really good, you only need three pitches. You don't have to have that fourth pitch. You don't. And many times that fourth pitch is causing a negative impact on the second pitch that you have. So when you start understanding that and knowing yourself and understanding, you know, what am I doing with my grip that's not as efficient as it should be? I mean, many guys, you know, <laughs> to tell them all the time with a breaking ball, you wonder why it doesn't break because you're gripping it too tight and you're gripping too much of the ball and you can't, you know, you're slowing the ball down. You're doing the same thing that you would do for a changeup. And now, you know, if you want to see that, that, that spin rate increase and that ball, that break increase, sometimes it's as simple as loosening the grip up a little bit or not covering so much of the ball. And I think that guys have a trouble with that. They cover both halves of the ball a lot of times and, and they're counterbalancing and they wonder why it's not moving. Did you have something to speak on on that, Coach? I'm sorry, I didn't want to uh, want to take that away from you. No, you're good. You're good there. Okay. Number three, you mentioned recovery. Let's talk about what your guys are doing in recovery to help ensure that they're ready to go each and every day because at the end of the day if you're not good and you don't have great recovery it's going to be hard to get on the mound that next time absolutely Trey uh one of the big things uh in our recovery is um you know a lot of guys don't want to hear it but it, it's running um you know it, it is what it is I, you know I've, I've done everything from running poles like when we used to run poles and down and back was one and now kids these days think down and back is two, um, you know, it's all changed. But uh, the biggest thing for me is, well, let's, let's train in recovery to what we're going to do on the mound. Um, so everything you do on the mound is in quick increments. It's, it's a fast twitch. It's a fast paced environment. Uh, so I'm, I'm a lot more into the, the sprint work now, um, more or less quick twitch movements where they're, they're exploding and then they're recovering. Same thing when you're on the mound, okay? You start, you deliver a pitch, boom, it's max effort, here it is. Then what? You catch the ball, take your two steps, walk around, clean the rubber, take a deep breath. Within eight, ten seconds, you're back on the mound, fixing to do it again. Um, so, you know, the sprint work where you're explosive, boom, run, and then boom, recover right there immediately. And then guess what? Run again. Um, you know, so we do a lot of, a lot of sprint work. Um, but there's also days, like you said, after a start where you're going to do a flush type run. Um, but nobody likes doing the, like you said, the old school poles where you're running foul pole to foul pole. Um, so I've kind of limited that kind of did some other things where you do some, some jog sprint walks. So you're still getting that, 
a time to build up, boom, exploding, and then you're still recovering. Um, kind of like the, the whole the whole point of step three for us uh, in recovery is to be able to be able to repeat and do it again. Um, you know, we do a lot of med ball stuff. We do a lot of med ball drills. Um, one of the biggest ones with the video I'll show you guys um, is the, just the green driveline ball. Um, do it, like I said, on one knee um, where you just have a plyo wall and you're, you're doing reverse throws. Um, so that'll be an example we'll show on the drill of uh, one of our pitchers doing some reverse throws. Um, typically doing sets of 10, you know, two sets of 10 um, is, is good for us. And we'll do some different variations of it as well. I'll do it with a partner where you incorporate the front side along with the reverse throw side of it. Um, I'll, I'll show both of those in the, in the video segment. Um, and a big thing, also another staple in our program, the thing we use all the time, man, is, um, you know, Alan Jager with the Jager bands. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're good. You see big league guys, you go to a big league game, what do you see the guy carrying in his, in his glove? You see him carrying his glove, a gamer. Jager bands, you know, a Powerade or Gatorade towel. And nowadays, it's like you said before, sometimes it's AirPods or whatnot. But most things you see when a big league pitcher is going to the mound, if you go to a big league game, he's got Jager bands. He's got, you know, a game ball towel in his glove. And he's, he's going to the bullpen, stretching, getting ready, preparing for that start. Um, you know, one of the first things they do is Jager bands. So we definitely do them, obviously, on the front side. Um, but we also incorporate some of those drills um, more of the reverse stuff um, for the recovery aspect of it with like what I said earlier about, you know, making hundreds of throws overhand and never doing anything to reverse that throw um, to just do your main daily arm care, shoulder maintenance uh, type protocols. You know, we do multiple things. Um, some guys do like to throw the med balls. It's not something we're going to sit there and shove down their throat um, as far as, you know, the forward throws, but, on the recovery and the, the deceleration side of things, um, that is one thing that we do, um, you know, pretty much required because I, I've always had success with it um, as far as, you know, keeping guys being able to bounce back on short rest or, you know, if they were a little sore, let's go ahead and get the soreness out now um, and then be ready for that weekend, you know, series. Because like you talked about earlier, those conference series, they – they're, they're three nine inning ball games. It's 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 a dog fight. Definitely by the time you get to Sunday, um, you know who are we gonna pitch? Can the guy that you threw on Friday night can he bounce back and give you an inning on Sunday? Um, you know, it's it's huge. Is the bullpen piece? Um, you know, can your closer throw twice on the weekend? Hopefully your offense scores enough runs where you don't have to throw your closer twice. You know, maybe one of those games is a is a four to three game or a, a six to five game where you're trying to get you know your best arm out of the pen your workhorse, so to speak, out there where he doesn't have to throw twice on the weekend. Um, those are always good weekends for the old pitching coach when there's some runs scored by your your offense where you don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to have to bounce back so-and-so? Or he threw on Tuesday and now it's Friday and then I need to throw Sunday. Um, so like you said, we manage it. If, if, you, if you're a starter for us, um, you'll do a recovery lift, actual lift with the strength coach the day after the start. Um, or on a Friday night series, if you throw three innings or more out of the pen, you will join that group and do a recovery lift as well. Um, and you'll be down Saturday and then we'll evaluate Sunday when we get to that. Um, like I said, with the arm care, the new app and things like that, that gives us a, a baseline that we know where our guys are. And then we can go from there and say, okay, 
this dude bounced back 15% higher than he had the week before, or, uh-oh, he's 25% decreased. Maybe we need to give somebody else a chance out of the pen. Um, you know, a different, different reliever. Also, like we talked about, a different look, whether it's a sidearm guy, a left-handed arm, uh, over the top, high three quarters, just a different look out of that pin um, to make sure guys are healthy. Because like I said earlier, it's a long season, man. 56 games is a, is a long go. Um, and especially sometimes during the season, just how it fell, we do have some double midweeks. So that's a Tuesday game, Wednesday game, more than likely a travel day for us. Seems like we're road warriors this year. Um, so travel day on Thursday, get to our opponent's park, practice Thursday night, then Friday game, Saturday game, Sunday game, shower, come home. While, like I talked about earlier, you still have guys on the bus. You know, you've seen it before yourself. Laptops out, uh, doing homework, turning in papers, still doing the student athlete part of it. Um, and that's just like I said, what I think these kids need to hear also is it's, you know, it's, it's basically like having a full time job. Um, you know, it, it starts early in the morning. And like you said, it doesn't end till nine, 10 o'clock. Then you've got your time to do whatever you want. But by that time, you're so worn out. And these kids have, you know, been to study hall, been to weights, been to practice. They're ready to go home, study a little bit. And then guess what? They want to go to sleep because guess what? It starts again tomorrow, um, you know. Certain times we'll lift weights at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, sometimes we lift them at one o'clock in the afternoon. It just depends, like you said, if, if, how, how the schedule entails, what the travel is. Um, you know, we've got some road trips with some flights this year. Uh, obviously, joining the WAC is going to be different looking forward as well. Um, heading some, some West Coast some more where there will be plane flights and you have to take into account with the recovery, the hydration and things where in the past it was, hey, you know, here's your Cane's chicken strips box and a Powerade and a water um, Some of that stuff's gonna definitely differ with the conference, you know, changing conference and schedule arrangements and things like that. So um, it'll be good for everyone, I think, definitely. But like you said, as a whole, recovery is definitely a huge piece of our program. And we wanna make sure those guys are healthy so they can be out there competing and giving us a chance to win. Absolutely, and, and recovery, you know, I think that one of the great things you said earlier was if you push it, you have to pull it. And that's where you're going with those negative throws that are going to be demonstrated in some videos for the guys that are watching the video content after this segment. Uh, you know, and after the, uh, the third segment, we'll get into some of that video content. They'll see some of these drills um, live and in person, and they'll get to, you know, really utilize those and add those into their development bus to keep it rolling. But I think that was a great piece. The, the fact about the talk about bands and making sure you're doing your band work. And, you know, that's one of those things that those are daily medicines that you have to do to make sure that you stay healthy and you stay, you know, able to compete each and every day. And you can't overlook them. You can't take them for granted. You've got to take, there's a lot of daily medicines that we have in the game of baseball. And if you make sure you're taking your medicine each and every day, you're going to be the guy that's ready to compete when the bell uh, when the bell rings and you're asked to do that. Um, that closes out our meat and potato segment with Coach Dylan Belanger, assistant coach, pitching coach at Stephen F. Austin. When we come back, my favorite part of every show on the bus, off the bus, right after this.
And we are back on this edition of Riding the Bus, talking a little pitching with Coach Dylan Belage. I hope you really enjoyed the meat and potatoes segment. He gave you a lot of great information of the things that you need to be emphasizing, the things that need to be important to you, and not only what they are, but how you can improve upon those. But now it's time for my favorite episode, favorite part of every episode, on the bus, off the bus. I'm going to give Coach a list of things or maybe uh, they, they would be statements. He's going to tell me if he's on the bus, something that he believes in, something he thinks you as the listener could get benefit from, or off the bus. If he says on the bus, he'll go into a little bit of detail about it. If he says off the bus, we'll move on to the next thing. Coach, are you ready? Yeah, hit me with it. All righty. Number one, weighted ball throwing for pitchers on the bus, off the bus. What are your thoughts? Uh, I guess I would say I'm on the bus stop. Uh, <laughs> so, like I said earlier, man, it's, it just depends. I think it's, you know, for some kids, it can be very beneficial. Um, I think there's a time and a place for everything. Um, it's, it's something that we, we do have all the resources. We do have all the driveline, the, the baseball ranch, the, the weighted balls, each individual, you know, starting from the lowest to the highest. Um, we do have, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have all those resources. Um, where if those kids are driveline type ball throwing guys. We have them readily available for them. They can do it. Um, but like I said, I've seen good things happen with them, and I've also seen the bad. Um, so I think it's a, on an individual basis. Um, but if you're a guy that's trying to gain some strength in a, an off-season throwing program type deal, I would be on the bus, I would say. Absolutely. And I think, you, you, you know, you're in the same realm and the same ballpark as, as many coaches, you know, and there's 50 percent of the guys that helps 50 percent of the guys that could harm. You never know which one you are. It shouldn't be your first uh, your first uh, stop on what you're trying to do. You should always emphasize, you know, your work in the weight room and making sure you're getting stronger and those things ahead of weighted balls, but there are some people that find benefit from it. I think you're doing a great job there in terms of, you know, letting guys that, that feel like they benefit from it be able to utilize it and use it. That's what not being a cookie cutter pitching coach is all about. And, you know, as you know, our listeners are listening, you know, they've heard many times, you're going to be your own best pitching coach. You're going to be your own best hitting coach. It's about exposing yourself to many different ideas and thoughts. That's what this podcast is all about and utilizing the ones that work best and benefit you. But to understand that, you've got to take time to listen to these episodes and listen and get as much information as you can so that you can make the best decisions for yourself. Number two, you touched on it a little bit in the meat and potatoes. I'm interested to see your full thoughts on this. Distance running for pitchers on the bus, off the bus. What do you think? Uh, I would say I, I've definitely changed. Uh, used to definitely be on the bus. Now it's it's probably more off the bus. Um, just like you said, um, nobody likes to sit out there and run poles for 30 minutes and uh, just, you know, boring, same old back and forth, back and forth. They're not really getting anything out of it. Kind of giving you almost a, a half an effort, so to speak. Um, so I think if – you know, you implement where it's, hey, we're going to do 10 60-yard sprints at this time with this amount of recovery, um, you get more out of it. So I would say now I've definitely changed to more of, like I said, sprint work um, as far as the recovery 
Um, and then we'll do some stuff kind of always back to, like you said, competing. Um, you know, in game, we have goals. So if it's, you know, four or less walks, if they meet that goal, there's no running. It'll cancel out the, you know, the recovery run or whatever for that next day, um, just for the guys that basically didn't pitch and the guys that pitched in the game. But if they pitched, like I said, as the starter or three innings or more as a reliever, they would have a more of a flush type run with a, um, you know, a little bit more distance involved, but it still has some sprint work where it's, you know, starting and stopping um, recovery and just being quick and explosive. So I would say probably as a whole nowadays uh, off the bus on that one. Awesome. I, I like that idea about having, you know, goals for your guys to meet within the game. And if they do, there being a little bit of reward on the other side of it. I like that thought process. Number three, this one, woo, hot button topic, especially over the last two years. I know that our pitching coach at Kennesaw State was completely off the bus on this one. Interested to get your take. Uh, wristbands for pitchers to take signs on the bus, off the bus. Well, um, you know, for me, it's it is what it is. So uh, I would say on the bus for me, probably uh, not everyone's first choice. Um, because it's non-traditional. It's not what you're used to seeing. But like I spoke about earlier, um, you know, with the synergy, as you spoke about scouting reports and the information getting out, uh, people stealing signs at second. I'm not accusing anyone of doing it by any means. Um, but it's a way where we have a sign calling system um, where I can change that card every inning. Um, so we are going to try it actually this season. Um, my, my head coach, Coach Cardenas, um, is, a, is a big catching guy. So um, part of our piece is we like to give those catchers the freedom and the ability to call their own game. Um, so with that being said, they always want a little help when it gets tight and there's a guy at second base. And now we're trying to cover up signs or what are we doing, you know, Abe, last sign, first sign, outs plus one, outs plus two, what are we doing? So now what we're going to try to do, we implemented it this fall um, against the two outside competition dates. And then we've done it in inner squads and we're going to continue to do it in inner squads once we get back is um, saw some other teams kind of do this, let the catcher and the pitcher work together, call the game um, how they want to with nobody on second base. Um, but once you get a guy to second base, they'll have that wristband in their pocket pull out the wristband, put it on, and then we can give the sign from the dugout and then we'll work from there. That way there is no sign going down at second base. There's no sequence. There's no tendencies. Um, it's literally a wristband, a card, have each pitcher, like you said, what pitches he throws in what zones. And then if he's out there for an extended amount of time or a starter, I can literally change the card every inning. Um, so if you want to write them down on the other side, go ahead um, it's just one of those things. So I would say definitely nowadays on the bus with that one. Absolutely. It's the only pick proof thing there is out there. You know, that's the only pick proof thing there is out there. And with synergy, you know, it, it is something that people look for. You know, if they know that, that you don't use something like that, they're looking for it. Um, you know, and some people go to touch signs and they think that's pick proof. We had one of the teams in our leagues touch signs for five years. So, you know, it's it's the only pick proof system out there. There's a lot of old school people that are off the bus on it just because it is different. And let me tell you, if your only reason for not being on the bus on something like that is because it's different and it's not the way you've always done it, 
then there are a lot of things that could have passed you by in your lifetime, whether it be internet and uh, cell phones and all those things would have never been accomplished if we just wanted to keep things the way they always were. That's a good answer there, Coach. Number four, pitchers should throw all year without any significant rest for the arm. On the bus, off the bus with that statement, pitchers should throw all year without any significant rest for the arm. I'm going to be off the bus on that one. <laughs> Good deal. Last one, a pitcher understanding his metrics, spin rate, vertical break, et cetera, is imperative to the maximization of their success. Uh, I would say on the bus on that one, kind of just what you just touched on. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's frowned upon for these kids nowadays to, throw year round and play travel ball and summer ball and spring ball and fall ball and uh, things like that. You know, sometimes it gets a little ridiculous. Some of the stories you hear, um, you know, at some point you need to give that arm a rest. And I think, uh, you know, kids should enjoy their time being young and playing football, playing basketball, playing soccer, um, whatever it is that they want to do um, just because it keeps them athletic. It keeps them active. It keeps them moving. Um, and you're not literally physically throwing a baseball every single season uh, along the way in a year. So, yeah, I would say on that one, uh, on the bus. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, Want to close out our time with Coach Dylan Belanger today. We're going to close out with a couple of questions. Um, Coach, we're all shaped and molded by the experiences we've had, the coaches we've been exposed to, the opportunities we've had within the game. Who are some guys that you've come in contact with in your career and your life in baseball that have helped mold your thought process as it pertains to pitching and as it pertains to your coaching philosophy? Who are some of those people for you? Uh, first off, I would definitely have to say uh, my high school coach, Paul Guerrero. He is now the head coach uh, at Neville High School, where I coached uh, high school. So actually his first year as the head coach and my last year there, uh, we actually got to coach together. And as I mentioned before, coach in a state championship game uh, in his first season. So uh, definitely him for sure. Um, Tim O'Neill was the guy who was the head coach at Neville when I first started. So definitely forever thankful to him for, you know, giving me that first chance and that opportunity uh, to get back in the game and coach. Uh, he now is the president for the Louisiana High School Baseball Coaches Association. Uh, they just wrapped up their convention uh, the 15th and 16th in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, so he's been busy doing that, I'm sure. Um, another one would be uh, Michael Avalon, as I mentioned earlier, uh, head coach at Pearl River Community College in Mississippi now. He, uh, you know, he gave me my first chance at a junior college opportunity to coach in junior college. Uh, so I'm forever thankful to him, too. Um, he was a pitching guy, so I worked right alongside with him. Um, you know, like I said, junior college, three coaches, one hitting coach. We just have lucked up and happened to have two pitching coaches. Uh, so we, you know, we worked hand in hand there at Mississippi Delta. Um, definitely Coach Temple and Hines for giving me that opportunity um, and telling me, hey, you know, you need to go ahead and get a master's degree if you want that job later on down the road. Um, you know, a lot of the job descriptions you read and things like that say, you know, a, just a regular degree, a college degree, a four-year diploma is, is what they need. But 
And what they're looking for is someone that has a master's degree as well. Um, so hopefully I don't have to use that for a couple of years until further on down the road. Um, you know, maybe one day once I get done with the baseball side of things, I wouldn't mind possibly being, you know, an athletic director or something like that. So now I'll have that education where I don't have to go back to school or take any classes or anything. Um, you know, I've got the master's degree now. Um, and then, like you said, I'm fortunate enough to be coaching division one baseball where I don't have to teach any classes or anything like that. Um, so as a junior college coach, I did have to teach a few, a few classes uh, here and there when they needed a teacher to fill in or something like that, because I did have the master's degree. Um, but like you said, fortunate enough now where my job is to coach baseball and uh, recruit future Jacks. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you feel like that the pitchers that are listening to this podcast, do you feel like they can benefit from watching pro arms? And if so, who are a couple of your favorites to watch and learn from? Uh, absolutely. So um, growing up, uh, like I said, I was an Astros fan uh, working for the, the AAA team and whatnot. Uh, so I got to see a lot of good pitchers, a lot of guys that came in. Um, Kirk Sarlos is one of them. Now the head coach at TCU got to watch Kirk pitch um, in AAA and, and in the big leagues uh, for multiple different organizations. Um, Wade Miller, a guy some people forget about, pitched for the Astros. Um, Roy Oswalt was another one that I liked. Um, and then, as we all know, baseball is a small, small, tight-knit community. Um, so Roy actually pitched at Holmes Community College uh, for Coach Kenny DuPont, who is now the head coach at Coastal Alabama North uh, in Monroeville. He has retired from the state of Mississippi and then now taken the job in Alabama uh, as the head baseball coach there. But um, Roy was, I mean, I, I love watching Roy pitch, man. When he was, even before I knew Coach DuPont and, you know, actually now I have a relationship with Roy. Um, so just watching that dude pitch, man, you know, he competed, he got after it. He was a guy kind of in my time, um, you know, when I was watching baseball games on TV at night. Um, and thankfully in New Orleans, Fox Sports Southwest, um, we got all the Astros games. You know, I've got a lot of buddies that got the Braves games. We got some Braves games on TBS and things like that. And I had other buddies that only watched the Cardinals growing up. Um, so I was fortunate. I got to watch my team. Um, my mother's actually originally from Houston. So um, it kind of, it all kind of links up. Like you said, man, just the whole baseball community as a whole, though, is, is tight knit. And I appreciate all the relationships, like you said, just from the bus. And um, heck, man, we've probably known each other, what now, probably five years of, every city from the East coast to the West coast to the Midwest, to, um, here and in between. Um, but you know, it's all, like you said, man, going back to the relationships and, um, just being able to call somebody about a player or, Hey man, there's a guy in your region. Have you seen him? Um, you know, just, it, it all, it all reverts back to those relationships, whether it's junior college coaches at the best in us events to head coaches, to recruiting coordinators, to this guy, to that guy, you know, even for players, you know, guys, there, there's not just one level to play at. There's all levels because you never know what coach that may call you and you say, oh, he's a junior college coach. I'm not going to answer that phone call. I don't know. I never want to go there. I'm only going to a power five. Um, you know, you look up and that guy's getting a job at a power five school or a, a, a higher mid-major school. He's getting the, the volunteer job or the pitching job, the recruiting job, the hitting job. So, you know, be careful with, you know, the emails you send. I tell guys that all the time, um, you know, been doing this for a long time, gotten a lot of emails. 
Um, we are we are the lumberjacks. We are not the Islanders, or we are not the Bearcats. Um, so make sure you know do your homework, and when you send you know coaches emails with videos and things like that, keep it brief and keep it generic, straight to the point. What you're trying to sell, um, you know, don't have a you know same thing with coaches, man. You know, if, if you tell me a guy is throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour, I don't need to show up and the kid's throwing 84, 86 because <laughs> it's not the same kid you told me about. So more than likely, I'm, I'm not coming back to your field uh, anytime in the near future. So just for anybody that's listening, man, I appreciate you guys. And Trey, thank you and Nolan and Matt. The bus is rolling for sure.